it really comes back to reflecting on your own personal values and how you can best apply what hours you have to get closer to manifesting who you want to be in the world and what, what you really want to um, achieve. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. It's me, Mike Vardy, and this week on the program, Steve Glaveski returns to the show. This time, we start talking about his book, Time Rich. Uh, do your best work, live your best life. Steve's been on the show before. Uh, he is incredibly successful as an entrepreneur, an author, and a podcast host. His mission is really to unlock the latent potential of people so they can create more impact for humanity and lead more fulfilling lives. There's nothing more nobler than that. Let's get right to the conversation. I'm really happy to have Steve back on the program. So let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Steve Glavaski here on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Steve Glavaski to the Productivityist podcast. Steve, thanks once again for joining me on the show. Well, thank you once again for having me, Mike. So the book is called Time Rich, Do Your Best Work, Live Your Best Life. And I normally don't start episodes with the most obvious of questions. But in this case, because we've had these conversations before, I'm going to start with it. What was the compelling reason for you to write this book, considering that you and I both know that there are a lot of books that are out there about time management and the value of time? Mm -hmm. what, was the, what was the impetus for you to put this out there? Uh, that's a great question. And the, the impetus was a number of things, but the main impetus was a article I wrote for Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago called The Case for the Six-Hour Workday, which uh, we may have touched on when I last appeared on your show at the time. And a lot of these productivity books, uh, time management books, tend to focus on what you as an individual can do. And yes, the book does touch on that, but it predominantly focuses on what companies can do to build more high-performance organizations and unlock their people's potential to perform at a higher level. Um, I mean, if I reflect on my 10 years in the corporate world before I jumped out and pursued entrepreneurship, there was definitely no such thing as a time-rich culture. Um, and oftentimes, it wasn't by necessity. It was just because we tend to anchor to the past and we tend to conflate long hours with being productive. We, we tend to conflate um, hours with uh, output. But of course, these are just throwbacks to the Industrial Revolution, where you could draw a straight line between how many hours you spent, say, standing by a conveyor belt and how many widgets you put into boxes. But when it comes to today's work, when it comes to knowledge work, cognitively complex tasks require a different approach. It's not necessarily that there is a straight line. Um, you know, you can only really get into that place of deep work, uh, what Cal Newport calls deep work, what Miho Csikszentmihalyi calls the flow state for about four hours a day. But the way today's organizations go about getting stuff done, uh, their best people who they pay upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars to show up to work just aren't given the environment that's required for them to be their best. You know, they're invited to countless meetings every day. They're being interrupted through push notifications and emails and everything else that they're expected to respond to all day long. And they're forever seeking consensus. And all of these things just mean that people find it very difficult to get stuff done, regardless of how much innate talent or ability they actually have. So you and I've had this discussion before in, in a, in a, in a, 
bit of an indirect way, but we've discussed how productivity is very personal, right? Like business isn't always mm-hmm. personal, but productivity is. And in the book, you get, especially in part three, you talk about the modern workplace and you talk about how organizations and how they can kill productivity. And, and that was something I, I get on side with right away because, again, they try to pull the personal out of it. Uh, can you, uh, you know, kind of expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. So when, when organizations go about getting stuff done, I mean, I wrote an article recently on this called why your organization probably runs like crap and crap was a not so uh, visually compelling uh, mnemonic, <laughs> which <laughs> effectively stood for uh, consensus seeking. Um, and, and that basically comes to the, back to the fact that as organizations get bigger, uh, trust tends to wither away. I mean, when you're a five-person team, everybody knows each other. There's a lot of camaraderie and everything else that comes with that. And even if you don't have policies in place, people tend to be aligned with the mission. They're not going to uh, do the wrong thing, um, providing you know that they're effectively incentivized. Um, and as an organization gets bigger, and this is the same of tribes, uh, trust tends to wither away. There is more uh, incentive for wrongdoing there is less likelihood that you're going to know the people who work in marketing and sales in in HR because you have these divisions between departments. And so if you find the opportunity to perhaps do the wrong thing, you will take that path. But not only that, the, the reason why we also have consensus seeking is because of a tendency to want to outsource accountability um, just in case you do the wrong thing. Um, and that comes back to, you know, psychological safety. It comes back to, uh, the culture of fear that many organizations have, which comes back to just focusing on delivering on an existing repeatable business model, rather than building these organizations that are about, uh, exploring and discovering the next business model, because they require fundamentally different ways of working. Um, but when you've created a culture around meetings after meetings, after meetings, when you've created a culture around, Uh, As Jeff Bezos suggests, treating all decisions like big, hairy, audacious decisions, even though most decisions are what he calls type two inconsequential inconsequential decisions that are inexpensive and that you actually learn something from when you screw up, well, then you just slow things down and nothing ultimately gets done. Well, things get done, but they get done at a very, very slow pace. Um, So the consensus-seeking thing is is, uh, fundamental, I think, to how slow things go uh, in many large organizations. Um, the second letter in, in that mnemonic was R for hyper-responsiveness. Um, so whether it's an email, uh, which we get about, we, we the typical executive tends to check their email 72 times a day. They tend to spend about three hours a day in their email. Um, and they tend to check it within 20 minutes uh, of an email coming in. They'll, they'll respond uh, to that email. So that all means that people are task switching all day long. So when you're task switching, I mean, it can take you up to 23 minutes to get back into the zone. Um, and if you're checking your email, say every six minutes, for example, um, mm. then chances are you're not spending any time in the flow state where you're doing your best work. You're just engaged in shallow level work all day long, which also not only are you not getting anything done, but it also leaves you feeling like like crap, uh, so to speak. Um, um, then the A in crap is availability, uh, saying yes to all sorts of things. And, and there is a tendency that we expect to attend a meeting uh, if we have been invited. And in most organizations, you can just block time in someone's calendar without giving it a second thought. And that's something that uh, Jason Freed over at Basecamp has, has talked about 
where he says, look, at base camp, you can't just block time in, in someone's calendar. You need to sell that meeting. You need to give them a reason why they must attend. Whereas in your typical organization, you know, no one, you know, no eyebrows are raised when eight people are invited along to a one hour meeting where information is just exchanged, um, where that could have been done, say, via Slack or Microsoft Teams instead. Um, but that's powerful, of course, in many organizations. And that sort of behavior has been normalized. And when you have eight people turning up to a one hour meeting, you know, that's an eight hour meeting effectively, as far as that organization is concerned. And then finally, P, the process paralysis piece, which kind of dovetails off uh, consensus seeking, but this shows up in, in myriad ways, one of which is um, high delegations of authority. So, I mean, organizations put policies and processes in place so that they can execute on that re- business model reliably uh, and decrease the likelihood of error. But like an assembly line, you know, it, it helps to keep an organization efficient at getting stuff done. But if the world around that assembly line changes, then you're efficient at getting the wrong things done. You know, as Peter Drucker said, there's nothing worse than the wrong things done right. Um, So delegations of authority in many organizations could be that, you know, deciding where to invest $500 worth of capital requires one or two signatures and something like that. um, Coming back to the whole type one versus type two decisions really shouldn't require too many signatures, if not any at all. Like you should give your people who you've employed for a reason to make good decisions, some agency over those decisions so that they they can make them, they can uh, invest and they can learn. But it doesn't necessarily need to be the investment of capital. It could also come back to their own personal, uh, not personal decision making, but also just decisions that need to be made that are unrelated to the investment of capital. Um, but oftentimes these decisions require multiple people to sign off. And as you know, in many organizations, if you need two, three, four people to sign off on something, that can take weeks uh, to get across the line. Yeah. And ultimately, it's a very, not only does it mean that things take a lot longer to get done, but again, uh, you know, there is a lot of work that's been done on workplace stress. And when you don't have a straight line between, when you've got really long feedback loops and when you don't have that sense of control, um, that's very demoralizing and it can lead to uh, workplace stress. Um, it can lead to anxiety, depression, all sorts of stuff that comes out of the workplace where you just don't have that sense of control. And, you know, if we're spending half of our time at work and we don't feel like we have any sense of control over our work, well, that's not a very uh, empowering place to be. Well, and then you end up being time poor to a degree, right? Because you're, you're always scrambling. I want, I want to know... Uh, the phrasing time rich um, and, and where, where that came from and what, how do you define it? Because I think that some having that explanation is key mm-hmm. for people to be able to, because, because when I was thinking about it and when I started to read it, it's not totally what you think it is. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So time rich, let me, let me step back. So if I think about, Uh, Seneca, the ancient Roman philosopher, you know, he wrote the book on the shortness of life. And Mm -hmm. in that book, he said that people are frugal when it comes to guarding their personal property, when it comes to guarding their their money, but not so when it comes to their time. Um, But time is the one thing it is right to be stingy with, because once you've spent your money, you can earn that back. But once you've spent your time, you cannot. So we tend to overvalue money in today's society um, at the expense of our time. Um, I think it was Naval Ravikant who may have said that 
we exchange our time to get money, but really what we should be doing is exchanging our money to get time because you know we're here to live our lives, not try and rack up as many zeros as possible in our bank accounts and then just focus purely on that. And then if you look at the five regrets of the dying, something that I captured in the book um, by a palliative care nurse called Bronnie Ware, uh, one of the regrets was I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And a second regret was I wish I had spent you know more time with family and friends. And the third one was I wish I lived a life true to myself. And when I reflect on how so many people are going about their professional lives, you know, working 10, 12 hour days, you know, ad, ad infinitum until they're basically retired. And then they're hoping to sail off into the sunset. But by that point, they tend to have all sorts of physical and or emotional, mental ailments that prevent them from leave, really living full lives. You know, that's, that's nothing short of, of, of tragic. And when it comes to time reach, you know, it really is a, a matter of personal interpretation because it comes back to your own values and how you choose to live your life. I mean, you might free up a lot of time and choose to invest that back into um, your work. I mean, if you are working on something that has a meaningful pursuit uh, behind it, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with working long hours, providing you can draw a straight line between those hours and the output that you're generating for the organization. But chances are, you know, once you get to four, five, six hours a day, if you have cultivated the ability to get into flow, if you have automated, outsourced, delegated away all of the low value tasks. And if you have over time learned which tasks aren't really worth doubling down on and you've eliminated or mitigated them, then you'll find that after X number of hours a day, you're better off going off and working on something else. And um, it's not just that, but the other aspect to being time rich is, you know, what do you want to spend your time doing away from the office as well? Um, I think so many of us, we'll fall into the trap of just working because that is a socially validated activity. Um, it's comfortable. It's something we're familiar with. We do it almost every day of our lives. Uh, but it's much easier to do that than it is to say, go off and maybe work on a, a relationship you've got that perhaps needs uh, needs some work or go off and pursue some new interests and expand your experience of the world and of life. Um, that stuff might get you out of your comfort zone and it can be daunting for a lot of us to do that, but ultimately that's where you have your most rewarding experiences. So uh, it really comes back to reflecting on your own personal values and how you can best apply what hours you have uh, to get closer to, to, I guess, manifesting who you want to be in the world and what, what you really want to um, achieve. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And now let's take a break from our conversation to talk about this episode's sponsors. 
I'm really excited to have Setapp back as a sponsor of the Productivity as Podcast. Now, getting things done is a real challenge and Setapp helps you with that. Everyone struggles with getting things done. Setapp makes it easy for you to get the apps that you need to do what you need them to do. I mean, bottom line is, is that there are so many apps out there to choose from and not all apps do what they promise that they are going to do. So you're you're downloading apps that don't necessarily do the job that you're going to need. You're setting up accounts and you might even be paying for them, but then they sit unused and you feel all bad about that. Well, you don't want to clutter your devices with apps that didn't work out. That's why Setapp is here to help you. Setapp is on a mission to help users get more done. I've been using Setapp for well over a year and I really enjoy having access to apps like Moment is one of them. I'm actually using Moment right now as a countdown timer for various specific things that I want to have happen, not just, you know, to give me a deadline, but also for something to look forward to. That's just one of the apps. I mean, there's, there's note plan three, there are, uh, there's Ulysses, there's tons of apps available through Setapp. Uh, we're talking over 200 high quality apps for your Mac and your iPhone. So that way you've got these apps where you want, uh, on the road with you, whether you're at home or away, Setapp has you covered. And Setapp has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps. So you don't have to search for the best tools anymore, which is a huge time suck. They are already in Setapp. And Setapp is a great value as well. Uh, you know, instead of paying thousands of dollars for a whole bunch of licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee with Setapp. And new apps are added to Setapp regularly. Uh, their updates are free and all the apps are full featured pro versions. So you're not getting ones that don't have everything you need involved. You're getting to try them out and use them in their full featured settings. It's, it's fantastic. I am a fit, massive fan of what Setapp is doing and I know you'll get a real uh, productivity boost from using what Setapp has to offer. I want you to head over to setapp.com right now to try Setapp for free for a week. And if you like Setapp, then plans start at just $9.99 per month. That's a steal. You can use Setapp for as long as it's useful for you. And look, I, I've told you, I've been using it for well over a year and I I renewed, I paid up. I, I'm not getting paid, uh, you know, I'm not getting a free service for this. I ponied up and paid for Setapp because I believe that much in the product. I know you'll enjoy it. Trust me. I, I, I think you'll get a real productivity benefit and and just an overall benefit from putting Setapp to use in your life. So check it out, setapp.com. That's S-E-T-A-P-P.com. Get that free trial for a week and then check out one of their plans that just start at $9.99 per month. Again, thanks to Setapp for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Give Setapp a try. Head to setapp.com today. There is a lot of uncertainty in the world, not just right now, but in general. And that kind of uncertainty can interfere with you leading the life that you want to live. It can make you unhappy, it can make you anxious, and it can keep you from achieving the goals that you really want to achieve. I know that uncertainty can wreak havoc with me, and I've taken steps to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future, and I've used better help to do that. BetterHelp will assess your needs, 
they may be very much like my own. And then they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist. What's great about BetterHelp is you can connect in a safe and private online environment. So incredibly convenient. And you can start communicating with your professional therapist in under 48 hours. Now, one of the things that I think is really important to understand about BetterHelp is it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help either. It is professional counseling done securely online. Some of the other benefits of BetterHelp that I've enjoyed are the ability to send a message to your counselor anytime. And you can use video or phone sessions. You can schedule them weekly. And with these messages, you can get timely and thoughtful responses. So you have a myriad of ways that you can connect with your counselor. And you can do this all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. You can do this from the comfort as I do from my own home. Um, and BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And, and evidence of that is the fact that they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. That had to happen to me because of time zone differences and all that stuff. It was seamless. It was uh, amazingly well done. Now, there are many specialties that the the licensed professional counselors can help you with through BetterHelp. There's depression, anxiety, which I alluded to already, sleeping, if you're having trouble sleeping, grief, family conflicts, anger. All of those uh, specialties are, are covered through BetterHelp and the licensed professional counselors. You can get through BetterHelp and you can find the particular expertise you need online. So you don't have to limit yourself to the counselors that are located near you. And the service is available for clients worldwide. I'm in Canada. I have access to BetterHelp. BetterHelp is convenient. BetterHelp is professional. BetterHelp is affordable. And anything you share is confidential. Now, I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of the Productivityist podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash timecrafting. Join over 1 million people, myself included, who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash timecrafting. Do it today. You know, I really am giving attention to my health more and more these days. As I'm getting older, I want to make sure that I keep this body working at optimal levels. And that includes getting out into the sunshine and includes going for walks. I'm doing yoga. But the other thing that I really want to make sure that I take care of is supplementing my nutrition with things that are going to help me perform at the levels that I want to perform at. And that's where care of comes in. You see, care of has high quality products and they meet personalization. So what happens is, is you go and you take an online quiz and care of asks you through this quiz about your diet, you know, your lifestyle and health concerns to help address your specific wellness goals. Care of's holistic online quiz is like getting a one-on-one -on -one consultation with a nutritionist without leaving your house and you get a personally tailored approach to your unique health needs. I know I did. And then you follow care of expert recommendations or adjust your pack at any time. If that's the case, if you need to, what you get is totally up to you. Really, at this time of year, as the weather clears up, you want to spring into a healthy mindset and lifestyle. Mindset is a huge part of productivity. And as we begin to focus on health, as we all make our way out of the winter months and into warmer weather... This is where care of can come into play. Now, I'll tell you, this online quiz really, really worked for me. Um, you know, it's based on what I need. You know, magnesium uh, is something that I want because I want 
to support muscle recovery and also going to help me with some sleep. Now, I live in Canada, so sometimes the sun doesn't come out or stick around as long as we need it to. So vitamin D is part of it. And then even though I'm a night owl, sometimes my energy wanes in the afternoon and I don't want to be like pumping back caffeine. So rhodiola is what was recommended. Then fish oil, that's because my family does have a history of heart problems. So fish oil was recommended all through this online quiz. It was fantastic. It did not take hardly any time at all, less than five minutes to go through it. And boom, care of knew exactly what I would need to get to where I wanted to go with my lifestyle, with my healthy choices, with the what care of can provide for me. So if this is something that interests you, and believe me, a healthy body, a healthy mind leads to more productivity, then I encourage you to check out what care of has to offer. And Keep in mind that this is sustainable too. That's another big thing. I think productivity is sustainable and there are small impactful ways to be more sustainable every day. And one of the things that that Care-of allows you to do is switch from bulky bottles to their compostable vitamin packs. That's just a simple way to practice a more eco-friendly mindset at home or on the go. So there you go. Like there are so many reasons to give Care-of a go. And for 50% off your first Care-of order, make that happen. All you need to do is go to takecareof.com and then enter the code TIMECRAFTING50 and you'll get 50% off your first care of order. That's stunning. That's incredible. And I have to say that going through that online quiz and getting a sense of what care of could offer me, that was all I needed to see. It's all I need to know. Plus again, that sustainability piece, the fact that I'm focusing on my health, uh, it's a no-brainer to me. And to get 50% off, that makes it even more of a no-brainer. That makes it, is that less than a no-brainer? Nonetheless, I want you to check out what Care of has to offer. So again, for 50% off your first Care of order, go to takecareof.com, enter that promo code TIMECRAFTING50 and get 50% off your order. That's all you need to do. And I encourage you to check it out. Again, takecareof.com, TIMECRAFTING50, get the 50% off that you need to start leading a healthier life today. And now let's get back to the show. So it's not, it's not purely quantitative. And I think that's what I was getting at is it's not purely like, okay, I have this many hours. I'm going to have more hours if I do this more, uh, a combination of leveraging the quantitative to have qualitative results. Like you talked about, right? Like to do more of that. Um, when we get deeper into the book, uh, part four, you go into like the how to, and I'm a big fan of initialisms and, uh, and, uh, um, uh, oh my gosh, I just love the initialisms and acronyms. Um, what there are steps now, when you talk about this in the book, um, I want you to go through the steps a little bit. Now I want people to pick up the book, but, uh, if you can touch on them, but then one of the things I always like to ask when someone puts a framework like that in place is, is it critical that they are done in order or how, how are you able to kind of navigate that process in a way that can make it work for you is it need to be done in that order or are you able to kind of mm. do you see where i'm getting at of course of course um so absolutely i mean mnemonics a are a useful tool to remember there you uh, go mnemonics yeah. that's what i meant to say yeah no, no, yeah i was like what's he talking about i think i know what he's talking about i just want to make sure <laughs> um but, but yeah, with mnemonics, uh, you know, they're a useful tool to help you remember frameworks. But at the same time, the problem with mnemonics can be that you try to fit uh, a number of steps into a word and therefore you might miss other steps. So 
ultimately, for the first thing I would say is, look, this is a guide, but there may be other things that can also help you uh, to optimize your time. There definitely are. But if you do follow the steps, for example, in the, the, the mnemonic, which I think you're alluding to, which is Peacoats, mm-hmm. uh, the winter jacket, uh, that will get you hell of a lot closer to being you know, this optimized productivity fiend. Uh, than you would if you kind of just tried to wing it. And, uh, and, and if it comes to doing those steps in order, um, not necessarily because in PCOTS, let me just run through the, the, the framework sure, real yes, quick. So yeah. P for, uh, for prioritize. So you know, the, I'm a big believer, as I know you are, in the Pareto principle, uh, 20% of uh, effects uh, generate 80%. Sorry, 20% of causes generate 80% of the effects. Um, so that could be applied to marketing channels, sales techniques, uh, customers we're targeting, products we're selling, whatever the case is, the top 20% tend to generate about 80% of the value. It's the same with our tasks. Um, And I remember when I actually published that case for the six-hour workday article, I shared it on uh, LinkedIn and someone shot back saying, oh, that sounds great in theory, but I could never get all my tasks done in just six hours, which suggests that, you know, there is a supposition in that statement that all of your tasks are created equal. But if you've got 10 items on your task list, the top two to three tend to be the most valuable tasks. And if you just get those done, uh, you'll be much better off than trying to just grind through the next seven. And, and chances are the other seven tasks, in many cases, perhaps can be delegated or automated away. Um, so prioritization, focus on the high value tasks. Uh, C for cut. So whether you're doing this on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis, reflecting on all of those you know, tasks, marketing channels, sales techniques, you name it, and Asking yourself, perhaps drawing up a quadrant on a wall and saying, do more, uh, start, stop. You know, what should I do more of? What should I do less of? What should I start? What should I stop? And just by doing that, it tends to get you to hone in on those things that perhaps many of us will just continue to do just because we've always done them um, without really reflecting on whether or not this task is actually valuable. And, and it's easy, again, to do that because, again, uh, we derive some sort of sense of self-worth from being, quote, unquote, productive uh, or rather quote unquote busy, but not really productive. So that step I think is critical. Um, O for outsource. Uh, So nowadays, obviously no shortage of outsourcing tools, uh, companies out there that can help you take stuff off your plate for, you know, something like 10 US dollars an hour for all sorts of tasks in in your value chain. Um, A for automate. Uh, Again, nowadays, you can automate customer service tasks, administrative tasks, marketing, sales, you name it for 20 to $50 a month, depending on the tool that you're using. You can create all sorts of apps outside of that. I mean, we created a custom built app for about $1,000, which for us generates client proposals in under five minutes. All we do is plug in the client's name, their logo, maybe the color scheme. Uh, and which services they're interested in that will spit out the PowerPoint proposal. And then you might just spend five or 10 minutes customizing that, which over the course of the year, when you're pumping out a lot of proposals actually saves you a hell of a lot of time. Uh, T for test, because two of the biggest ways I see organizations and people effectively wasting their time is one in analysis paralysis and forever pontificating around what they should do. Um, trying to put together the perfect plan. And as a customado, Mike Tyson's coach said, you know, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And that often amounts to just wasted time. And the other side is second biggest way people waste their time is by jumping to conclusions and spending too much time and money on the wrong thing. And so uh, one way around that is to just embrace the scientific method and just test your assumptions. Uh, if it's a new product idea, 
what's the biggest assumption underpinning the success or failure of that idea? Can you go off and test market appetite without spending too much time and money on it? Um, and can you get some actual customer uh, insights and data that can help you validate things um, and you can move forward based on real world data rather than assumption and rather than forever pontificating around a, a boardroom uh, table, for example. And then, and then finally, the S&P codes really was just around something I called start your engines, because again, I was looking for a word that could fit into that mnemonic. Mm-hmm. Um, but start your engines is really around, you know, what are those things you can do to uh, optimize your cognition? Uh, so that would be uh, you know, exercise, nutrition, sleep, uh, getting some sunlight, movement. Um, you know, the, I talk in the book about uh, how we have a we we tend to glorify working through lunch and having lunch at your desk because you know that signals to the rest of the organization that you're being productive but realistically um that can have a counterproductive effect um one such study that i refer to in the book was um done on three groups of scientists so one group worked 20 hours a week the second 35 hours a week and the third 60 hours a week now the 20 uh, hour a week group was actually twice as productive as the 35 hour a week group. And the 60 hour a week group was the least productive of all um, because you're just not giving your brain the time it needs to restore, um, to, to, to rest and rejuvenate. And so you might be turning up to work. You might be turning up to your Zoom calls and, and Slack channel, but you're effectively burnt out. Like your body's present, but your inside is not. It's kind of, And that's essentially where the term burnout came from. Uh, Herbert Freudenberger coined that term because if you look at a house that's been ravaged by a house fire, it's still standing. But if you walk inside, it's just been burnt to a, to a crisp on the inside, but the shell is still standing. So when it comes to starting our engines, something as simple as say a 15 minute walk outside in nature has been shown to release a brain derived neutrophic factor or, or BDNF, um, which is essentially our caveman brain associating movement with a, a fight or flight moment. Um, and so it releases BDNF, which essentially helps us to focus and it also helps us feel better. Um, so these studies around movement actually show that uh, not only are we more focused after a you know, 15 minute walk, but we also um, emotionally, like emo- our emotional well-being increases and we're less likely to develop uh, you know, anxiety and depression in the long run if we're forever sedentary. So these are the types of things where if you do these things, you then come back to your work feeling better and more uh, you open those neural pathways and you can actually get stuff done at a higher level rather than just sitting at your screen, uh, sitting at your desk, staring at your screen and just winding up on Twitter and, and getting into some sort of a tribal battles uh, over there. One of the things I've struggled with, even knowing this, and this is the kicker is that I know this, is the outsource and automation piece. Now, I'm, I'm good at automating. I've gotten better at that. Mm. Um I think what what I found, and I don't know if uh, anyone listening feels this way, is that there is such a um, uh, confluence or there's this this crossover between what you can automate and what you can outsource now because a lot of things that you used to be able to just outsource to someone can now be taken care of by a Mm. service. Uh, So how does someone, how do you recommend someone navigate those waters? I'll give you an example. Um, I use Woven as my calendar app of choice, and I've long been really good at using calendar app booking apps yep. rather than a person because a person could do far more um, human-centric things, right? Like, for example, mm-hmm. uh, I've sent, I've outsourced things like creating a PDF from a document 
that's something that a human can do because there's some design sensibilities. Creating a podcast survey, for example. So there's a listener survey for the podcast. I outsource that. Not something I could automate. So do you recommend that people sit down and go, okay, like make a list of what could be out all of the outsourced stuff, yes, and then what of those things could be automate either put through an automation service or are those like how does that get how do you figure how do you work your way through that? I would look at that as part of the C step. So cut when you drop that start stop more or less quadrant. Um what you know, what are the things that you can start automating um that you're currently outsourcing. Um but I would also look to the actual task itself, like does it require some form of cognitive complexity? How much customization is required? Is there a risk to this being automated? And is that going to compromise you know, the, the end result of what you're actually trying to do? And are you better off just paying someone to, to do that? Um, do you have uh, a good relationship with the person that is doing it? And have they been doing it to a very high quality up until this point? Uh, you want to look at all of these factors before you automate something. Um, like you definitely don't want to just, you know, if you've got someone sending emails on your behalf and then you automate that and then you start sending out, hi, first name, good to see you. Uh, or it uh, been a while since we last spoke. Um, then obviously that's not going to reflect well on your, on, on your brand. Um, so you want to look at what are the underlying sort of risks? What's the nature of the work? How repeatable is it? How often is it done? What's the cost of automating it? Sorry, what's the cost of outsourcing it over a period of 12 months versus the cost of automating? Uh, is there a high risk of human error if you're outsourcing it? And what is the consequence of that risk? Uh, are you better off automating it as a result? Um, I think if you have like you can take that very regimented approach where you just you know, walk through all of your uh, current tasks that you're, you know, that you're outsourcing and then reflect on these variables and determine whether or not you want to automate them. Or you might get a feel for things as you go, um, the more organic approach, which is, look, I know I'm outsourcing this at the moment, but I know now that there are other tools out there that can automate this for us. And then as you're you know, going along, um, you, you start testing these automation tools. And like, for example, recently I spun off a media outlet called nofilter.media and I was paying someone to take articles that some of our writers had submitted in you know, Google Docs and then they jump into our CMS, which is Webflow, and they you know, copy paste all the article content. Um, but I asked myself, and this is perhaps when you've got that mindset, which is skewed towards how can we do this better? Mm-hmm. I asked myself, can we automate this? Um, and you know, it turns out that just by creating a you know, HTML form uh, using Zapier, we can effectively just get our writers to go straight to this form, complete the form that will submit directly into our CMS. And then all we need to do is just go into the CMS and either submit that article, uh, make some changes if we need to, or, or reject it if it's terrible. Um, and so that saves us the order, the outsourcing step. It saves us money there, but it also means that we can grow at scale. So instead of having hundreds of Google Docs lying around and having uh, a team of outsourcers, you know, madly trying to get that stuff up, um, we can just reach out to you know tons of writers around the world and say, hey, we'd love to uh, have your content. Um, you know, even if it's not original content, just submit it here on this form. We'll we'll backlink to your to your site and that just helps us grow as well. Um, and, and so I think it is a matter of, you know, yes, you can be regimented, but at the same time, 
Uh, if you're a small team, if you know what you're currently outsourcing, if you feel that there is a better way, and more often than not, there's always a better way, uh, just spend, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes researching and uh, you might find that there indeed is a better way. And um, on, on that, I will say that people, whether they're executives at large organizations or entrepreneurs that I speak to will always say, yeah, that sounds great in theory, but I just don't have the time. Uh, to do that, which, you know, it's ironic because you make that investment up front, <laughs> yeah. you do some research, you, you outsource the task, you put together some uh, instructions or, or you automate the task and, that, you know, that will repair itself, you know, orders of magnitude times over. So uh, it's always worth making the, the investment up front. Last question before I let you go. Normally I ask something completely different, but going through the book, there's an appendix and mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share because I think that this might be the answer to the question I usually ask, which is what what is one thing you can do to start becoming more time rich today? And you've got this shorter workday experiment. Now, don't we, I mean, again, it's like, Mike, you're giving all of it away. But <laughs> can you can you um, can you explain a little bit about like what someone can do to do that to make that happen? Or if you don't want to go down that path, what you found when you did that experiment? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, the hmm, the appendix, I guess it really comes back to, and, and one thing I will say is it's not necessarily that your workday needs to be six hours. I mean, that was effectively just testing a shorter workday in order to see whether or not we could maintain our productivity and uh, ultimately, yeah, what, what would the effect be on our emotional well-being? And, and what we found was that by running a, say, six-hour workday experiment for a couple of weeks, it forced you to hone in on the high-value tasks, you know, the 80-20. It forced you to be diligent about outsourcing and automating. It forced you to think twice about setting a one-hour meeting and perhaps setting a 15 minutes instead, or perhaps just sending an email uh, if that would suffice, if you're just communicating information. Um, it would force you to cultivate the, fault, the, the flow state when you get to work in the morning rather than spend the first hour you know, checking your mentions on, a, on LinkedIn or, or Twitter or something like that because ultimately as human beings, we're predisposed to taking the path of least effort. And, and so for us, we found that, yeah, it, it definitely maintained, if not improved our productivity because it forced us to ask these questions and to continue to apply these things over a longer period of time than just the two-week experiment. Um, but it also meant that people had a hell of a lot more time to focus in on other things. Uh, you know, one of my colleagues at the time had a young three-month-old daughter, so we got to spend a hell of a lot more time with her as well. Um, and so for us, the the benefits were obvious and, and the costs, you know, there the effectively were no costs. I mean, what some people say that, oh, if you're working less hours, does that mean you're paying your staff less? And no, that's not it at all. In fact, if they're creating more value, you should think about paying them more because ultimately what matters is not the hours they spend in the office. It's about the output um, and the outcomes that they're developing or that they're generating, whether they're working 30 minutes a day or 13 hours a day. That's really what matters. Um, So I would say that for organizations or for people listening to this who are thinking about uh, trialing a shorter workday or influencing their management to trial a shorter workday really it comes back to um you know one setting your your metrics like what are you actually how will you define or how will you define success like for us it really was uh using uh, a number of uh, metrics whether it was you know if, if you're looking at quantitative roles like sales well that's easier to measure you know how many calls are you making how many uh 
leads have you generated? How many sales have you made? Um, but if you're looking at more, say, uh, qualitative roles where perhaps it's not as measurable as, say, sales, like, say, a design role where you might be looking at agile story points, um, which is something we use in our team to, to measure whether or not that output is still where it needs to be. Um, but you might also look at other metrics like, you know, how do people feel, which was something that we asked in a, in a survey we shared after the experiment ran. Um, do people prefer the shorter work day? And, and, yeah, of course, people tend to, but that's not mm-hmm. always the case. I mean, sometimes people uh, like spending a lot of time at work because they derive a sense of identity from that. And if you set them free at, say, three in the afternoon, they don't know what to do with themselves. So, uh, And that comes back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, it's easier to spend all day at work. Uh, rather than go off and build or develop yourself in other aspects of life. Um, so I think that's where you really start, Mike, you know, defining those metrics of success and then uh, going off and effectively running that experiment and just applying some of the stuff that we've talked about today to ensure that people get to focus on the high value work um, and that they try and break some of those bad habits that permeate the, the typical workplace, which is spending a lot of time being quote unquote busy, but at the end of the day, not really having that much to show for it because we've basically spent all day task switching. We've spent all day saying yes to all sorts of non-consequential requests on our time. We've spent all day attending to meetings. Uh, We've spent all day in our email and we've neglected all all of those high level activities, which perhaps um, are a lot more difficult to get started with. And, And the last thing I'll say just on that is, you know, when it comes to those tasks that feel Herculean, you know, you're sitting down, you're staring at a blank page, you just, every fiber in your body just doesn't want to get started on that 2000 word article. But just by committing to say 50 words of poor quality, once you've got that ball rolling, the amount of energy that you need to apply is much less than getting going in the first place. And and this comes back to Isaac Newton's famous laws of motion that an object in motion stays in motion. So you know, it's the same with picking up a book. Uh, many of us are spending more time than ever looking at screens nowadays, something like 11 to 12 hours a day in most Western countries. But if you feel like you've been watching too much Netflix and you really need to be doing a bit of reading, apply that same rule, just pick it up, commit to reading one page, and you'll find that reading the rest of the chapter becomes so much easier. Steve, this has been a fantastic conversation, and I know we could keep going because we sure there's we so could. much that this, and I think we had the same thing last time too. There's just a lot we can cover. Um, uh, the book is called Time Rich: Do Your Best Work, Live Your Best Life. Where can people pick up the book, and where can they keep up with you and your work? Sure, Mike. I appreciate you having me on again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, people can pick up the book over at Time... Well, they can learn more about the book at timerichbook.com and they'll find links there to all the places they can buy it online, basically anywhere good books are sold. Um, and they can learn more about my work at steveglaveski.com. That's G-L-A-V-E-S-K-I. Steve, thanks again for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. Big thanks to Steve for joining me once again on the program. Uh, You can get info and access to everything that we talked about through the show notes where you are listening to this podcast right now. You can find the show notes. And again, of course, you can go to steveglavesky.com to learn everything you need to know. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and or review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this podcast just helps me make the show better. And if you don't want to miss a single episode or you want to get access to the back catalog, which features 
Steve's previous appearance on this show, as well as a slew of others that we've had on the show. And that way you don't miss a single episode of the great guests we've got lined up in the weeks and months to come. Just subscribe to the podcast. Really, just it's really simple. Just hit subscribe in the podcast app that you're using right now, and you'll make it happen. Simple as that. Simply put, that's the end of this episode. Thanks again for joining me on the program today. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivity is Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.